0: This is In The News from The Irish Times. I'm Aideen Finnegan. Today, is Elon Musk finally about to fail? I talk to my colleagues Laura Slattery and Hugh Linehan. Laura Slattery is media columnist at The Irish Times and has been following this story very closely. Laura, this saga is all I can call it. It's been running for months. Elon Musk, will he, won't he? What's he at? I mean, it could... I can preempt the Netflix miniseries already. Can you take us through the events leading up to this week?
1: Yes, so Elon Musk, or Chief Twit, as he calls himself, <laughs> he's the wealthiest man in the world. He's worth more than $200 billion. And he's the kind of impulsive, impetuous billionaire who loves Twitter so much that he decided to buy it. He was already the chief executive of four companies.
2: At this point, I think I know More about manufacturing than anyone currently alive on Earth.
0: The electric vehicle maker, Tesla. Musk saying he has never been more optimistic about Tesla's future than he is right now. And And then two others called SpaceX. Vehicles now traveling faster than the speed of sound. And
1: Neuralink, and also a tunneling firm called the Boring Company.
2: And no, it doesn't bore people, but rather it bores through the Earth, making gigantic tunnels for transportation.
1: But it's fair to say he's had anything but a boring year. A whirlwind period basically started in January when he started buying shares in Twitter, but it was really in April when things started to heat up.
0: When Musk started buying up shares of Twitter, and he started sharing his opinions about how the platform works.
1: In between musing about whether or not Twitter was dying, he became its biggest shareholder and then pursued this bid, drawing together the finance from various financiers and selling some of his shares in Tesla, which is really the main source of his wealth. And he got together 44 billion, which is a really hefty price tag for this company.
2: My strong intuitive sense is that Having a public platform that is maximally trusted and broadly inclusive is extremely important to the future of civilization.
1: And then almost as soon as that was agreed, he tried to back out of the deal.
0: The billionaire CEO announcing just hours ago that the $44 billion deal to take Twitter private is now on hold
1: claiming Twitter was not being transparent about the number of bots on the platform. Twitter sued him for abandoning the purchase. He countersued. And an almighty court case was about to begin in Delaware last month before he changed his mind again and said he was going to go through with the deal. So as of last week, he is now the owner of Twitter.
2: Twitter is trending on the news that Elon Musk, the world's richest man, now has power over one of the most important communications platforms on the planet.
0: Why do you think he pulled out or tried to pull out the deal? Obviously, the excuse he gave doesn't really make sense.
1: Well, I mean, he is the kind of man who does things on a little bit of a whim. And although he said back in April that he didn't really care about the economics of the deal, the economics of the deal are considerable and they are considerably unfavorable. Like even the price tag was sort of, you know, was $54.20 a share which had some vague connection to a cannabis joke that he likes to make. Uh, 4.20 is cannabis slang in America. That exemplified really the nature of how Elon Musk does business. It doesn't always make logical sense. So he said that he was concerned that there were more bots on the platform than he was previously aware of. And he had also said he wanted to defeat the spam bots or die trying. He obviously is not totally sure whether or not he's up to that task. And he's left holding this company that is just not worth 44 billion and may even be worth considerably less than what it would have been, what it should have been worth
0: at the time that he bought it. Can you maybe run through the events that have kind of unfolded over the past month since the deal went through?
1: I mean, the first thing he did was, of course, fire the former CEO, Parag Agrawal, and many of the other top executives. And some of those have also quit, including the de facto ad boss, uh, Sarah Personette. That hasn't reassured any advertisers either. He then, amid a lot of reports about the number of staff that. He was going to let go, you know, there was an, estimates for anything up to 75 percent. The Washington Post uh, reported to um what is understood to be right now happening, the process of shedding 25 percent of Twitter's staff. Now, the company had uh, more than 7000 staff as of the end of last year. So that's a considerable number of people that he's looking to take off the books.
0: And and why Laura? Like what, what does he think that Twitter has too much of that he can let go of that many people?
1: Well, I mean, the simplest answer and the truest one is that he's looking to cut costs. He really, really needs to cut costs at this point, as indeed all tech companies are. The advertising economy is going into a downturn. And advertisers are very cautious at the moment. They can see that there's a slowdown in consumer spending. And they are starting to um, pull back a little bit from the volume of advertising that they buy. So he needs to cut costs anyway. Now his fan base who are sort of diehards um, see this as exercise as sort of draining the swamp to use that sort of MAGA uh, term. They see it as, you know, Elon Musk asserting his authority over his new toy. But I think costs are really the primary concern I think the most dispiriting thing that's happened since the deal went through was that he shared a link to a conspiracy theory about the attack on Paul Pelosi, the husband of the speaker, uh, Nancy Pelosi.
2: Elon Musk is being slammed for reposting an article suggesting Nancy Pelosi's husband had some sort of relationship with the man accused of trying to kill him with a hammer.
1: And that's reignited fears that he's just not a responsible enough character to own a company like Twitter, which is quite an influential public sphere.
0: And that's not going to be the sort of thing that'll go down well with the advertisers, who, as you've explained there, are already skittish.
1: He did say, however, the other day that. Twitter can't rely on advertisers entirely for its revenue, and that's a pretty big statement to make.
2: According to recent earnings reports, advertising makes up 90% of Twitter's total revenue. But already a top advertising firm is pausing all of its ads on Twitter.
1: I mean, of course, it is true, and it can't rely on advertisers entirely for revenue, but it seemed, he seems to be scaring off um, those advertisers that are there at the moment, while at the same time this uh, plan for an $8 subscription for the blue tick.
2: He says he will start charging users who want a blue tick beside their name to indicate uh, their account is verified.
1: It doesn't really look like users are going to fall for that. Maybe a few of his fan base will. But will it be enough to uh, bring in enough dollars? It's very unlikely. You know, the US and the rest of the world are sort of tipped to go into recession at the moment. People don't have money to be spending on subscriptions for things that they previously got for free.
0: Laura, Twitter has 450 million daily users. So how come they can't make money from like advertising to that many people? What is wrong with Twitter that the business model doesn't seem to work for it, where it does on other social media platforms?
1: Well, I mean, I think the clue is in just at what the end of what you said there, there are so many other social media platforms out there. And Facebook, the company, which is now known as Meta, has just been uh, very effective for years and years at hoovering up ad uh, dollars. That it's in itself is now under pressure a little bit from the rise of TikTok, which has also just been on a total hot streak but Twitter has never really carried the same uh, value perhaps part of the reason is it's not a visual medium the same way that Instagram is and, and advertisers obviously prefer that it's also been I suppose best known for being the site of choice for journalists and for politicians and other sort of influential of, uh, official types. But that kind of, you know, that kind of environment, it doesn't create a, a happy, clappy atmosphere. You know, it's, it's a serious one and it can be a very fraught one, um, but it's not really the ideal place for advertisers to put their brands. And, 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 you know, they are present there. It's not that they're not on Twitter. All of Twitter's revenue does come from advertising effectively. Um, but that hasn't been enough for it to be consistently profitable. It makes losses most of the time. And any time it's made a profit, it's been quite it's been quite modest. The company is going to be delisted from the New York Stock Exchange uh, in about a, few, a week, week's time. And, you know, some of those shareholders will make a bit of money from this sale. But over the years, they've been very kind of um, uh, impatient, I suppose, and, and kind of questioning about why Twitter hasn't been the cash cow that some of these other companies have been. Elon Musk has to deal with those um, same Questions, but now they're they're not necessarily coming from shareholders. They'll be coming from his financiers. It's not helped by the fact that he does seem to be the kind of person who, you know, despite, you know, or perhaps because he has achieved so much success in his life, he is seems to be at heart a kind of an attention seeker. That what that seems to be what he craves more than anything else, and. He is prepared to lose his shirt, as we say, in in business. He's prepared to lose a good chunk of that 44 billion investment, I think, if he has some fun in the meantime.
0: He's had a lot of success. He's been very successful with other businesses. So are we underestimating? Like, why couldn't he do it with Twitter?
1: Well, it is true to say he has been extremely successful and he became so by... Um, by having a, a bigger success each time he started a new company. So he sort of rolls the, the proceeds of one, uh, you know, success story into the next one. And Tesla at the moment is, you know, it's, it's really in a, st- a strong position in the electric uh, vehicle market. Um and he is innovative. I don't think uh, anyone could argue that. Um, SpaceX uh, dominates the satellite market as well. Um, yeah, he he like he has a certain kind of genius that is, I suppose, it's a software engineering genius. But it's not that's not necessarily the same as saying he's. Um, a social media genius. I mean, social media is kind of the marriage between software engineering and 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 sort of marketing. Really, it's you know, it's a cute, Twitter is effectively a community group, and um, you know, we've seen the pa- in the past uh, people like Mark Zuckerberg not really quite get human behavior. I would say, or at least expecting um, uh, users of his sites to behave in a way that they don't really want to behave and. he he kind of there's a kind of an idealism there sometimes or perhaps just um, just a kind of an an ignorance of of what people really want the jury is out i think on elon musk and twitter but i'm personally not expecting this to, to end well i think the the economics of the deal are so horrible it's just not going to be pretty
0: Coming up, Hugh Linehan on the decline of Twitter as a marketplace of ideas. Hugh Linehan is arts and culture editor and he also presents the weekly Inside Politics podcast. Hugh, we know Twitter has been one of the main drivers of social, political, cultural discourse in the past decade. That's kind of beyond doubt. But was there a moment when you realised what a monumental innovation it
2: was? Well, obviously I look at it, down the narrow telescope of being a journalist, and there's no doubt that for any journalist, I think Twitter has been incredibly important. Let the record show from my public profile that I joined in May 2009, which is probably a little bit late. I probably should have joined in 2008. But I think it was really in 2010 that I came to start to really understand how it was going to reshape so many things in my working life. Uh, I think of two events. Uh, One is the the death of the broadcaster, Jerry Ryan, in, in spring of that year, and the way in which those of us who were following it on Twitter knew a huge amount about the event before any uh, established media outlet uh, managed to publish anything about it. And then a further event in the same year, uh, the famous uh, incident when the then Taoiseach Brian Cowan uh, appeared on Morning Ireland, and many people alleged that he was not entirely uh, sober first thing Mm -hmm. in the morning. And I think crucially... And the opposition spokesperson, Simon Coveney, then tweeted about that. And by tweeting about that and because he was a senior politician in his own right, he gave legitimacy to a story which then travelled around the world within the space of 24 hours, which I don't think would ever have seen the light of day before Twitter. And then I suppose the kind of apotheosis of it for me came in 2015. I remember standing in the Irish Times newsroom and seeing almost live, real camcorder footage of people getting shot during the Charlie Hebdo attacks in Paris and being faced with the real moral and ethical decisions that needed to be made at the time. Were we going to push this out onto our site or how were we going to handle it? There's no doubt that in terms of the kind of the news agenda, Twitter probably reached its peak with Donald Trump, who's no longer there. Um, and I think it's been on a decline ever since. Um, for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know platforms go out of fashion so certain parts of twitter that were probably extremely popular and certainly had some commercial uh, viability for the platform have migrated to newer younger more attractive platforms like instagram and more recently tiktok and i think that there is evidence i have seen some reports that the the people who really made twitter hum Uh, which was a small minority of the overall users, the people who were high profile, the people who were very active, the 10% of Twitter users, or fewer than that, who generated well over half of all all the tweets. Um, The evidence is that over three, four years, they've been tweeting less and there's fewer of them as they migrate to other platforms or just stop doing it. So it's lost that cachet. And from a business point of view, whatever about a a cultural or political point of view, that's that's a bit of a disaster for it.
0: Ostensibly, one of the main reasons Elon Musk wanted to buy Twitter was to rally against censorship and preserve free speech. So would you be able to surmise what is Musk's version of free speech? Because I have seen a lot of accusations in some quarters that he's had quite a few NDAs. He can't be that much in favour of free speech.
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of nonsense, really. Um, I don't think when it comes to free speech that um, that Elon Musk is one of our uh, you know foremost intellectuals. I you know I'm sure maybe he's read right as John Stuart Mill, maybe he knows um, about you know about the underlying principles, but um, it doesn't look like that from from what he said. Um, and he is, I mean, he does, you know, it does raise interesting questions. You know, his tweet this week about Nancy Pelosi's husband um, was completely outside the bounds of Twitter's existing rules, but completely outside the bounds of what people would would think is a legitimate thing to tweet. And if the head of Twitter is doing that, and if that's an indication of what he thinks is is acceptable free speech, well, then I think he's in big trouble. But, But just as importantly, if not more importantly, from his point of view, I mean, he's just burned... $40 $40 billion or something like that on this company. And presumably he doesn't want to send it completely down the toilet. And he will do that if he mm-hmm. gives up on Twitter's sometimes fairly rudimentary attempts to, you know, to control misinformation and various other kinds of bad stuff on Twitter. If he gives up on that completely, I think I, I get the impression from reports I've seen over the last few days, he's already been told to know in no uncertain terms that there goes his advertising and there goes the rest of his pretty disastrous investment. But the underlying business model for Twitter was always pretty disastrous. It was always deeply unimpressive compared to competitors like like Facebook, and it doesn't show any sign of getting better. And you see in these, maybe they're just off the top of his head suggestions or maybe they reflect something deeper. But these suggestions that some everybody should pay for their for their blue check marks uh, are seem to me to be a sign of desperation faced with the reality of Twitter's shrinking revenue base.
0: Yeah, the reaction to that has been roundly criticised. Was there any sense to that, do you think?
2: Well, I have a blue cheque. I'm not going to pay for it. Um, mm. why, on earth, why on earth would I pay for it? I mean, the, the purpose of those things to begin with, even though they did become, in in some people's eyes, a rather pathetic kind of a status symbol that some people had blue cheques and some, some people didn't. But the underlying rationale for them at the start was that people who had some kind of public profile and reputation. Uh, and who did have a value to Twitter because of that? That they deserve not to have their reputation, you know, you know, completely disparaged on Twitter because people were uh, were pretending to be them. So there was a kind of legitimacy to that, and it made sense. But I really don't understand why 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 people would would pay for that into the future. There's four hundred thousand blue checks on on Twitter. I think you'd be doing very very well to get twenty percent of those to uh, to pay eight dollars a month. And if you do the maths on that. It really doesn't add up as a significant revenue stream compared to the kinds of revenues that we we traditionally associate with big tech.
0: The second largest shareholder in Twitter is now the Saudi prince, Al-Walil bin Talal. How worried should we be about repressive regimes having undue influence on the platform?
2: well i think we should be worried because obviously that's not just a question about twitter that's a question about tiktok as well which is owned by the uh, the world effectively uh, or is under the control of the world's most uh, powerful authoritarian regime which is the central communist party of of china so between um, between that and the fact that you have a, a huge saudi influence uh, on twitter i think that's a you know that's a great cause for concern i mean I, on the other hand I think there is a possibility that we are seeing somewhere on the horizon, not immediately, but not that far off, the end of the model which we've been familiar with for the last twelve to fifteen years of these absolutely immense uh, single platforms through which everything has to flow, and there's only three or four of them in the world. There are there are moves afoot, including over the last couple of years from within Twitter to kind of think of a uh, to think of devising a a different way of allowing people to communicate, people with whom they want to communicate. The Blue Sky Project, as I understand it on Twitter, is an attempt to do that, to kind of set people free from the bondage of... Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or the rest of them and give them a bit more control over where they go and when they go and who they talk to. And, you know, these things are not a given forever. This Internet that we're familiar with right now in the in the 2020s is very, very different from the Internet that people thought would develop about 30 years ago when all this stuff started. Mm -hmm. And it's probably extremely different from the way the Internet's going to be if it's even called the Internet in 10 or 20 years time.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe it's all too fragmented now, though, in a way, because whatever social media comes afterwards, it might just end up being... Quite
2: niche. Well, maybe I really don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, obviously, what's what's happened in in, in recent years, since since Trump's banning, in particular, uh, the the energy on trying to create an alternative Twitter has come from the right and from the far right. So platforms like like Gab and Parler and uh, and Trump's own Truth Social. Now, I don't know if you've ever found yourself on any of those. I have. I haven't. They are pretty noxious. Uh, They only appeal to a very small number of people and they don't do what gave energy to those people on the right in the the first place, which they don't give the opportunity to own the libs because there are no libs there. There are uh, there are some attempts on the on the left side of the spectrum now, or at least they're seen as being left or liberal, like Mastodon is the one we've heard a lot about over the last the last week or so, which is more disaggregated to some extent.
0: Explain that to you for for people who haven't heard of it.
2: Well, it's kind of like Twitter, but it's also a bit like Reddit would be the simple way I would put it in that there are, there are, there are hundreds or thousands of, of subsections, which are run by their own moderators, you know, and, Various interests, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's whether it's manga or whether it's kamogi, you can probably—I uh, don't know about the kamogi actually—but you know, <laughs> you, you you can you can find your own interest there and talk amongst yourselves with other people interested in it. But those uh, those opinions can then also be broadcast out to the to the larger community as well. But the the scale of 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 all of those right and left is is so tiny that I think that the the mechanics of of the online business model are, are unlikely to support them into the future. So it's it's, it's really hard to know how that you know how that will pan out. And then, of course, you know, then you're just going kind to of have a bunch of echo chambers.
0: Yeah, I guess that's what I mean about the fragmentation, because like, I don't know if there'll be another social media outlet where we will all get together the way we have with Twitter. You know, we'll all get together and comment on the Toy Show and we'll all get together and comment on the Eurovision. I don't know if there'll be another network like that.
2: I th- I think you're probably right about that. But you know in reality there are probably things to regret uh, and things to be happy about but because the thing became uh, to be you know the whole thing became noxious it became foul um and, and and what happens if you have a if you have a meeting space where um where no rules apply or proper rules don't apply, sooner or later that garden starts to get infested with weeds and vermin and it becomes unpleasant and that causes people to to leave and the flowers die and what you end up with is a rubbish heap. And really that's kind of what's been happening with Twitter for a while and I don't see any chance of that stopping under Elon Musk.
0: And to bring it back to Musk, You know, the received wisdom is that this is a bad deal. He's in over his head. He's bitten off more than he can chew. It's all about his ego. And ultimately, that'll be his downfall. Do you think that's a fair assessment or are we underestimating him? Could he turn this around?
2: It's definitely a bad deal. It's an absolutely appalling deal. I mean, apart from anything else, his timing was dreadful. We're in we're in the middle of the biggest slump in tech stocks since the uh, since the 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 bust of two thousand and one. You know, and this may well end up being bigger. I mean, all those stocks have declined enormously in the period since he put in his bid and then scrabbled around trying to get out of his bid and was ultimately forced to uh, to buy Twitter at the whatever it is fifty four dollars a share. Um, it's now generally valued by people. It's obviously not available in the open market now. He's bought it, but generally people value it at about thirteen or fourteen dollars a share. So you do the maths on that, and you say this guy has just burnt, literally burnt, thirty billion dollars of his own wealth. And in a not unassociated um, matter, Tesla has also declined um, because, not surprisingly, people are worried about the about Tesla stocks uh, as well. Because what the hell is he doing, and where is his focus on? Um, I think and i am not a business journalist no more than i am a psychologist but i think this could be seen as one of the great disastrous acts of hubris in uh, in modern society
0: a cautionary tale Hugh Lennon, thank you very much for joining us that's it for today this episode was produced by declan conlan in the news we'll be back on monday